Good morning, everybody. For those of you who are here and everybody online or watching recorded, it's good to be with you in any way possible. And as Pastor Armory said, I look forward to greater numbers as the restrictions ease. Uh, but uh, you know what? As I've been saying since the pandemic started, uh, the kingdom of God is still on the move. Amen. Whether we're restricted physically, uh, there's nothing stopping us. And today actually is a special day that we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, so I got a question for those of you who are here because I can't see you online, but you can, you can in the chat, you can say yes online or put up your hand if you want on the Facebook or YouTube chat. Has anybody here ever witnessed an actual crime or a special event and had to be witness to it? Anybody? Anybody? So Deanne, you've, you've been asked by police to like recount maybe uh, something you've been to. Anybody else uh, been seeing something like that? Yeah? A lot of people. Oh, a lot of people. Wow. Okay. Um, <laughs> Have any of you ever been to a big, huge event that people years later ask you about? You know? Uh, like, for example, um, I've told you before, I was at the big Unity rally in 1995 downtown. You know, 150 plus people, 150,000 plus people. Or um, one of my favorite events I was at, I was at the opening game of the 1999 Rugby World Cup with 72,000 people at Millennium Stadium in Wales. You know, where if unless you were there, you're, you can only tell, and by the way, kids, this was before smartphones, so I have no proof that I was at that game other than I was with a person who's now a police officer, so I hope you believe him. And uh, we were there together. So the only memories we have is what we said to each other and what, uh, what we got to experience, but we were witness to something we witnessed something that was special, and, and you kind of, in one sense, have to take my word for it when I tell you what it was like. Um, but it's amazing, isn't it, if you've ever watched, I'm sure you've all watched TV shows and things like that, uh, where people see the same event, and then they get asked what they saw, and they have different perspectives on what they see, right? Remember different things, right? And that's normal. It's, a lot of it has to do with our own normal prejudices and biases and just what we like and don't like. For example, somebody might clearly remember what somebody was wearing because they're into fashion or they're into brands and remember, oh, yeah, that guy had an IZOD shirt on because they saw the logo. You know, but somebody who doesn't know that won't recall that information. A parent, and more likely a mother, will probably remember any children involved quickly in a scene. There were three children, and they were about six. They were about three. Where a guy in his 20s, I don't know, there was a baby. Like, they can't tell the difference, right, between a baby and a toddler, whereas a mother easily can. Um, I talk about people who are into cars all the time. Somebody who's into a car might go, yeah, you've got to see it. It was, a, it, was a, it was a Camaro. Whereas I'd be like, it went vroom. I, I wouldn't know what kind of car it was. So we see something, and we remember, even though we all remember it, we remember it differently, and we see things differently. So the point, of course, is that whatever you witness, whatever you see, the only person who can share what you saw or experienced is you. So why am I talking about Why did I preamble that? Well, today is Pentecost Sunday, if you look at the Christian calendar. And um, I would say that after Easter and Christmas, this is probably should be the third most important, um, if you will, celebration or event that we talk about. It's Pentecost Sunday today. And uh, just so you know, uh, Pentecost follows Easter in our calendar right? Whenever Easter happens, Pentecost is 50 days later, okay? Uh, that's just how it goes, and Easter moves because of calendars and so on and so forth, okay? And so also, Pentecost usually falls right around a, a Jewish holiday, uh, which just happened last week, actually, and that's on the Jewish calendar, but the reason we get to the day of Pentecost in the Bible, which you see in the picture there, the reason they're all together in one place at that time is because it's also a Jewish holiday, Okay, in the Jewish calendar. So 
Now let's go back. Now Jesus is still on earth, and Jesus uh, comes to the uh, disciples, his followers, and he gives them uh, a famous, uh, if you will, short sermon. It's something that we've come to call the Great Commission. I think I have it up there. In Matthew 28, it says, Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So Jesus is sort of setting the preamble. He's saying, this is what you're going to do now as my followers. You're going to go into the whole world under my authority, and you're going to teach people about me, and you're going to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and I'm going to be with you forever until the end of the age. And what does the end of the age mean? Until he comes back. Because okay? he means he's going to be with us, and we're going to learn through the person of the Holy Spirit until he physically returns himself. Okay, so we get that preamble. Okay, we're just setting the stage. So now we get to the book of Acts. So the book of Acts starts with the day of Pentecost, or just about to start. Just before that, um, the book of Acts opens, and just so you know, you Bible students, uh, it is Luke who wrote the book of Acts. Luke was a physician, but also, I guess we would call him today an amateur historian. He was very interested in keeping record of things. And he said, uh, he says this, starting off, In my former book, Theophilus, I write about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. He is talking about the book of Luke. Okay? After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles, he had chosen what we just read. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke to them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he's eating with them, he gave them this command. So he's saying, he's, Jesus is now telling them, and they're all witnessing this, they're all seeing this. Okay? And then he says this command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father has promised. Yeah, there you go. And which ye have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so there's a couple of things. One, they knew what baptism meant. They had been baptized, okay, in water like we do, okay? And, but now Jesus is saying there's something else coming. You'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit, okay? Now, they were already aware of the Holy Spirit. It's not like they didn't know the Holy Spirit was. Remember in Matthew 28? Just go back to the scripture for a second there, Tyler. You'll see Jesus actually says, baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So this wasn't some foreign concept, the Holy Spirit, but they they couldn't quite get where Jesus was going. So this is something different now, Jesus is saying. There's something, a different baptism. We're not going to get too much into that today, but in the coming weeks and months, I definitely will. So just try to park that and remember that. Okay, so Jesus says this thing now in Acts uh, 1, 4 to 5, about the other baptism coming. So then he tells them this, and then they gather around him. It's like they, they get in close around him, and they say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the days the Father has set by his own authority. Okay, so just to understand, sometimes I think this is one of those verses in the Bible uh, that we can read and not understand because of the concept. When they say, Lord, are you this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? They are saying, oh, Jesus, is this what you mean that you're going to kick out the Romans and then we're going to have our own kingdom and we're going to take over everything? That's what they're saying. Okay? Very similar to people today who get caught up in end times theology and end times things all about, oh, is this when Jesus is returning and we get to kill all the bad guys and take over the world? That, that's exactly, right away, it's understandable, but right away their thinking goes away from the spiritual to the earthly. They think, oh, this is it now. We've done all the spiritual stuff. He's risen. Now we're taking over. So, you know, God, they're very much like us, right? These, these disciples are very much like us. They sort of mistake it. And we don't know who said that, but it seems a few of them did. And he says, guys, he says, 
They responded like most of us, right? They still haven't fully understood the power of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ and really does. They still had political and historical things dominating their thinking, right? It's understandable because we do it all the time, but they were off here. And this is another reminder that we do not know when the fullness of time, when the end of the age is. Okay, so just, I say it probably three, four times a year. Just remember, when is Jesus coming back? I don't know, but he's coming back. And anybody that tells you they have any clue or any hint of when he's coming back is arguing with Jesus, not with me. It's Jesus that says, nobody knows. Stop worrying about it, okay? So we don't know. So Jesus goes on to say, but, see, he's not, he's not hammering them. He doesn't yell at them. He says, listen, guys, don't worry about that. It's not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And then after he said that, he was taking them up. And a cloud hid them for sorry, it was the ascension. Okay? So when he says this, you'll get the Holy Spirit and power will come on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, so in the city in which you live, in Judea, in the country in which you live, in Samaria, in the countries around where you live, Samaria was their neighbor, and to the ends of the earth. Okay, so you're gonna spread from here, do 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 do, and it's gonna be so just before his ascension, this is what Jesus says. Okay? Go and wait. Go and pray, and then, okay, and then, he says, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my Father has promised. So his last command as he goes up is, now go wait for this gift that was promised, okay? Go pray until it comes, okay? So, so when Holy Spirit comes, it comes in this way. He says, you will be my witnesses. You will be the ones to go out and tell the people what you've seen heard, and experienced. But first, go and wait and get this power. So here's an important step for all of us to remember. Jesus gave a command and they listened. They did exactly as they were told. They went to Jerusalem and they waited. They didn't go, oh no, wait, 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 we got to go spread this message. No, they, they went and they did it. So if we want to experience and see what God has in store for us, we have to do what he says. Okay, and I say that because a lot of times, just in my own dealings, what happened in my own life, you know, how come God's not doing this? How come I'm not seeing that? Are we doing what God told us to do? Are we doing what we've been led to do? So if Jesus says, go and wait, we go and wait. If Jesus says, go and do, we go and do. It's a very good lesson to remember. So now, imagine, it's about nine, ten days after Jesus' ascension, okay? Depending on whether you judge days by dawns or by sunsets, but it doesn't matter, okay? Nine, ten days, they were waiting. They were up, what we call in the upper room, if you know your Bible, okay? Obviously, they, if you go, go back to that picture at the beginning, if you don't mind, either somebody owned or rented this space, okay? And that's where they all were. These believers were gathered there, okay? Waiting and praying. Now, nine, ten days, okay? I was thinking about this. I think a lot of us struggle because we begin to imagine a nine, ten-day prayer meeting, where everybody's just there for nine, ten days, not moving and, and whatever. Do you think that's really what happened? No. I'll bet you, in those nine, ten days, some people had to go to work and then come back. Some people had children, had to take care of their children. I bet you some people took care of making the food and cleaning things up and sweeping and helping each other. You think there was no kids there? Of course there was. You think there was no babies there? Of course there was. They didn't lock themselves in a room for 10 days and then not move. It, be careful when we romanticize things. You know, I was thinking about this week, I was reading about, um, 
I say this a lot, I probably say this about once a year, but it's the same sort of idea. Many of you think about great revivalists or great preachers of the past, and they talk about, oh, there's one who's Welsh. And he used to talk, I get up at 4 o'clock in the morning, and I pray for four hours, and whatever, and, I, and you think, oh my goodness, I could never do that, whatever. Yeah, but then you read more about this man and find out that he went to bed at 8 p.m. So he was getting eight hours of sleep. I don't get eight hours of sleep. You know? Like, be careful when we mythologize and romanticize things. Yes, this is an intense prayer meeting where they're holding on to the promise of God, but they were still living lives. You don't think they were going to the bathroom? You don't think the kids were learning? You don't think the, the, the mothers and the fathers had to do things? Of course. You think they said to their children, sorry, I can't bathe or feed you. I'm busy praying to the Lord. They don't, don't, myth, don't make it a myth. These are real people following real instructions from the Lord, and they're doing it normally, okay? So what am I saying? I'm saying that devotion to the call of God and seeing his promises in your life require obedience. But life goes on. The thing is, not that they were not dedicated to God, it's that when they could have done something else, they chose to pray. Okay, that's, that's the key here, Okay? So instead of watching eight hours of Netflix, they prayed, okay? Instead of just sitting around in the town square having a chat about the news of the day, they prayed. Instead of going to play a game of whatever was fun back then, bounce a ball on the wall, I don't know, they prayed. Instead of, you see what I'm saying? They replaced all the normal mundane activities of life that are not necessary for two with prayer. And they were in prayer to see the fulfillment of the promise that the Jesus told them they would do. Nine, ten days in prayer like that. Do you think we could do that? I actually think we could. I think we could easily. It would just mean putting a lot of other things aside. So it tells us this. When the day of Pentecost came. Now remember, Pentecost isn't a Christian word. It's a Jewish festival. So when that day came, they were all together in one accord. Why were they all together on the day of Pentecost? Because they'd been praying for 10 days together? No, because it was a holiday. They were all off, and they were praying as they should be. Okay, so they were all together praying in this, and they were one accord, the Bible tells us, or one place. And so it makes sense that they're all together. And togetherness is important. The Bible tells us in Psalms 133, doesn't. How good and pleasant it is when God's people dwell together in unity. So here they all are together, praying together in agreement for the thing that Jesus had promised. They're all agreeing. They're not, there's no agendas. They're not praying for something else. They're praying for this one thing. Whatever it is, Lord, that you said was going to come, we're praying for that promise. We're praying for that promise. We're praying for that to happen. So I want to make a pitch right now. I want to make a pitch for prayer. Okay. In my life, I've had to do a lot of elevator pitches in my work life. Okay, so I'll try and do an elevator pitch for prayer. Okay, I shouldn't have to, but I'm going to try. It's no surprise what is about to happen in this story is amazing. It's going to literally change everything. It is important for all of us to have our own prayer lives. Amen? At home, in private, please, you need to. But, oh boy, we need to pray together. This is the unmistakable pattern in the Bible and every move of God in the last 2,000 years. You might want to change it. You might want to say that's not how it works. But let's be rational and scientific about it. Every great move of God has begun with concerted, continual group prayer. You, you can argue yourself 
till the cows come home. But it happens all the time. Okay, so we need it. And we, we've got a bit of an advantage over our friends in the upper room. We don't have to pray for the Holy Spirit to come because he's already here. He came at Pentecost and dwells within us when we believe now. But there's still a lot to pray for. Listen, there's an old revival saying, I couldn't find who said this. I don't like not attributing things, but whoever said this, they were very wise. This is what they said. I want you to hear this. I think I put it up there. Did I, Tyler, the quote? Satan laughs at our strategies, mocks at our labor, but trembles when we pray. Do you think Satan's scared of the way we organize our church? Or how big our church is? Or how influential our church is? or how many people we have in our seats, none of that scares him. Prayer scares the devil. Why? Because he knows it's when we're in prayer that we've surrendered ourselves completely to the one who made us, and he knows that he has no shot against Jesus. Oh, he can take our strategies and our plans and how smart we are and whatever. That, he, 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 he can even use that to his advantage, making us think that we're clever, and we've got it all sorted out. But when we've submitted ourselves to God in prayer, there's not much he can do. In fact, there's nothing he can do. I was reading this the other day. Forgive me, I saved it on my phone because I didn't have time to put it in my notes. Um, this is the Edinburgh Missionary Conference. I don't know when this is from. I don't know where, what the context is, but this is what they said. They had a conference and they said, when the church sells itself to pray with the same seriousness and strength of purpose that it is devoted to other forms of Christian effort, it will see the kingdom of God come with power. Yeah. I'm going to say it one more time for everybody. When the church sets itself to pray with the same seriousness and strength of purpose that it has devoted to other forms of Christian effort, whether that be music or organization or our buildings or our, our denominations or our Instagram accounts or our YouTube followers, whatever, it will see the kingdom of God come with power. Amen? Can I ask, even plead with everyone listening to me here and online? Okay? If you feel stuck, come and pray with your brothers and sisters. If you feel sad, broken, hurt, come and pray. If you feel lost, alone, confused, come and pray. If you're praying for family and friends or people you love to be saved, come and pray. If you can't, if you feel so stuck that you can't, the Bible tells us if you need, if you need help, call the elders and they will come pray for you where you're at. We'll do that. If you believe the Lord's on the move and everything's good, and He is, then come and pray. As many of you probably know, this church, we just have one prayer meeting a month on Saturdays. On the first Saturday of every month at 5 p.m. We have a lot of folks that come every time. And I understand that not everyone can make it because of various things. But can I challenge everyone today? Can I challenge everyone today? That this summer, June, July, August, the first Saturday of every month from 5 to 6 p.m., you put everything else off of your calendars, unless it's work-related or health-related, I understand. And you say, no matter what, come hell or high water, I am going to church for the prayer meeting. Mm-hmm. Just try it. Just try it. Can we do a little science experiment and see what happens when more and more people pray together? 
I was listening to a song yesterday, or the day before. I don't know, I've been listening to it a lot. Sort of similar to Graves in the Gardens. And one of the lines says, Minutes turn into hours and I don't really care. All we want is you. You know, we were singing Graves in the Gardens, eh? There's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. Oh, that's true. I, I believe it. When you sing it, I want you to make sure that you... You know, there's no really any way I can say it. If there's nothing better than God, can you give us one hour of prayer a month? Can you do a 20-minute drive? Or for me, an hour and a half, because we live off island and our bridge is gone? <laughs> can, can, can you do it? Can you just say, I'm going to give that one hour. I, I'm... I'm to use a biblical expression, I'm throwing out my fleece and saying, I might feel sad, broken, hurt, stuck, lost, alone, confused. Need people, I need to see salvation. I need to see a move of God. I need to see healing. Do it. Let's do it. Let's put everything aside and plan your whole week around that one hour. Because the Bible tells me, when you put God first, all these things shall be added unto you. So why don't we do it? Why don't we try to do it together? I believe and hope that you believe God is on the move. The Spirit of God is on the move. You know, whether I say it or not, He's on the move. Because He's always on the move. <laughs> I, I, was on a, I, was in, I got an invite and I went to a call this week with a global apostle who I shall not name. This person is enormously famous, enormously well-known, an apostle. And uh, I've got to be honest, I struggled. Because first of all, he said something about the gifts of the Holy Spirit started again in the church uh, with the Azusa Street Revival in 1906. So first of all, that's just factually wrong. Like, it's, he didn't, I don't know how, if you're a global apostle, how you don't even know your dates. And first of all, I could maybe say, well, no, it was 1904 in Wales because I'm Welsh and that's where I'm from and I want... But do we really believe that the Spirit of God stopped moving for a thousand years? Do you really believe that somewhere between the New Testament and 1904 or 1906, nothing was happening? Who do we think we are? After the day of Pentecost, God's Spirit fallen. It's been on the move ever since. Maybe it wasn't written down. Maybe we don't know about it. Maybe there's no great names that we know of. But do we think that the whole world went through the, the Renaissance and the Dark Ages and the rest of the planet and God's power wasn't on the move and people weren't being healed and delivered and saved? And then in the 1900s, somebody went, oh, I figured it out. Like, really? The, 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 the arrogance that that says, yeah, the audacity someone just whispered. Come on. God's always on the move. So I can say, come on, folks, God is on the move. We say, I don't know if he is. He is, whether I say it or not. He always is. Remember a few weeks ago we were talking about God said, my word will never return void. He's always doing something. He's always saving. Uh, a friend, Tyler, a friend of mine, posted, he's actually a guy doing the slides today. He posted this verse this week in his Bible reading. It's in the book of Psalms. Did I put it in there, Tyler? I remain confident of this. I will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait for the Lord, be strong and take heart, and wait for the Lord. Well, what does wait for the Lord mean? Pray. Pray, and you will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. What this is telling us is you don't have to just wait for heaven when you're dead. You'll see it while you're alive. Just wait on the Lord. So do you want to witness the move of the Lord so you can tell people about it? Do we want to be able to testify with a witness? It starts with a prayer meeting. I really do believe it does. I've been saying things like this a lot now. Lately, you probably understand I'm getting a little bit more desperate and a little more extreme. 
But believe me when I say this. You could listen to a thousand of my sermons. Okay? And one prayer meeting could do more for you than a thousand of my sermons. Please understand that. And you might say, well, yeah, you're not that good. Well, one of my <laughs> 1,000 sermons of Billy Graham or Stephen Furtick or insert your favorite person there, okay, Can't, can, cannot equal one encounter with God at a prayer meeting. It'll change your life forever, change the life of your loved ones forever. It'll change the life of our church. Look at the prayer meeting we're talking about at Pentecost. It literally changed the whole world from that moment. It changed the whole world. So we get to now back to Scripture. What happens is this? Suddenly, I love that, suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house when they were sitting. You see, what happens is you're praying and praying and praying, and you don't see it coming. Folks, don't be, don't be misled by preachers and leaders who tell you they know when the move of God is, or it's coming from here, or it's coming from... <laughs> I say this often. <clears throat> I'm 40-something years old. I moved back to Canada in the year 2000. I have heard every country named as the origin of the next revival of God. Stop it. It's going to come from where God wants it to come, and I pray to God it comes from all the countries at the same time so no one could claim it as their own. But the bottom line is this. It comes suddenly. They weren't sitting there, and they knew it was going to happen. Suddenly. A sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Okay, so something happens suddenly, and then something that's not possible in the natural happens. So here's where we start to diverge now with the rest of the world, right? Because now we're starting to claim that something happens that's literally impossible. Okay? It's not even that these people are speaking in tongues that's intelligible. That, that means that people can't understand. You know, I know there's been studies done on that and that people praying in tongues and things like that have uh, parts of their brain activated that, are un- that science can't really understand and all that stuff. That's great. But these are now, they begin to speak in other tongues, literally other languages that they do not know. Okay, so now we're, now we're either talking about this happened or we're in comic book Marvel Cinematic Universe territory. No, for real now, right? Let's be honest. Either we're reading a comic book and this is all just some silly story, or this is what happened. And so the tongues of fire come and they start to uh, speak in the other tongues. Listen, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Anybody want to guess what my favorite word is here? All. All of them. Everyone at the prayer meeting. So old man Jebediah, rebellious young lady, I don't know what the name back then, Stephanie, okay? And little boy Jehoabim, okay? Whoever they were, they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. I believe there was babies there that were touched by the Holy Spirit. From the oldest to the, it doesn't say, and all the men began to, and all the adults, all It doesn't say all of those in good spiritual standing, all of those who had repented in the morning, all were filled with the Holy Spirit. So I want to pause when I say this. Include your children in your spiritual life. Do not shield or block them from the hard and difficult things in Christianity. Bring your babies to everything. Well, I can't bring my baby to the prayer meeting. They're going to cry. Good! A crying baby is a sign of life. You don't think we can't handle a crying baby? 
bring your babies to the prayer meeting. We want your babies at the prayer. Eliana has been to every prayer meeting since she was born. And she's nothing but a sweetie. And in fact, she's a nice break sometimes when you just want to get a nice smile. Because you look at her and she smiles. It makes you feel nice. Why I'm saying this is, if you, it's like a baptism. If you dip your baby in the presence of God from their birth, it'll never depart from them. No matter how old they get. You don't, you'll have to explain some things. You might need help explaining your things. But your kids are learning math, they're learning science, and they're learning all of the crazy nonsense that the world's teaching them about a lot of things. And they're learning at 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, and so on years old. They can handle the Spirit of God. Bring your babies, bring your kids, bring your teens to everything. And don't let me hear that your teens don't want to come. They're your kid! The problem is you're letting them dictate where you go and what you do. What planet are you on? Well, they're not going to love church. Let them see the Spirit of God move in your life. My question will be, what testimony, what witness are you giving them at home? So, Spirit falls on everybody. They're all full of the Holy Spirit. And it says here, Now they were staying in Jerusalem, because it was the holiday, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And they started to hear this sound. A crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken, utterly amazed. They said, Aren't these people Galileans? How do they speak our languages? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, and Egypt, and parts of Libya, Cyrene, Romans, Romans both Jews and converts, so non-Jews who were chose to convert to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own language. Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? And some said, oh, they're drunk. Well, doesn't this sound like Canada? People from every nation gathered in one place. So we already have that. We've got to start. So now here they are. They, something happens. Suddenly, it's powerful, it's amazing, and then people are confused. And folks, the crowd will always be like, what, what's going on? And they react, they break down in different ways. You get some who are like, oh, tell me what's going on. This is interesting. You get some who are like, ah, they're drunk. You're always going to get that. Okay? Now, if you're, are you ready for some people to treat you like a drunkard? Okay? Like you're crazy. I just told you that we believe that God can fall upon you and make you speak a language you cannot speak. Not, not tongues that only Lord understands. I mean, literally, like, if you cannot speak Arabic, you could speak Arabic if God so willed it and needed it to happen. I mean, that's, as I told you, comic book stuff. So people are going to think, you're nuts. You're nuts. And you can say, I've seen it. I've heard it. I've been there. I don't care. You're nuts. Are you prepared for people in your life to call you crazy? Because that's what happens. It's normal. It's okay. Because a lot of other people go, well, tell me more. Okay, so Peter stands up to the crowd. And what does he do? He witnesses. Peter's about to tell them what he has seen and what he has heard and what he's experienced. That's what it means to be a witness. So, so Peter stood up with the 11, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and everybody else that's here, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. He says, these people can't be drunk. It's too early in the morning. Basically, the bars aren't open yet. Okay. Now, I want to be careful. Take a moment. It says they're watching the Worldwide Prayer Meeting yesterday. People didn't think they were drunk because they were walking around like drunk people. I want to be very careful because there's a stream of Christianity that gets silly. And the, the Spirit of God falls and they start going, Oh, I'm drunk with the Holy Spirit. Mm, garbage. 
Okay? The reason was the folks couldn't contextualize what was happening. So they just said, ah, they're drunk. So if you're German and you hear somebody who's English speaking Arabic, you're just like, ah, they're drunk. Because you don't understand Arabic, so you hear garbage, rubbish coming out of their mouth, but you know they're not Arabic, you think they're English, you just say, ah, they're drunk. They were just trying to compartmentalize something they didn't end. The believers weren't walking out of the upper room going, it wasn't like that, okay? So please, my charismatic friends, that's not what happened. Okay? So, he says, they're not drunk, it's too early in the morning. So let me, he says, let me explain. He's not saying, well, figure it out. Peter says, okay, let me explain, but you've got to give me the time and you've got to listen. So he's saying, he starts saying, this is the promise spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. How many people? All people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your children will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Stop. I was actually reading a story right before going to bed last night of the church, Apostolic Church in Scotland, before it became the Apostolic Church. And one of the most major moves of God and the placement of a, of a, a, a man moved cities based on the prophecy of his 12-year-old son. Okay, let's go on. Your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. I had another one last night. That's a whole other thing. I woke up and there was writing on it. Val and I have a sliding, uh, what's it called? mirror closet, and there was scripture on the closet. Anyway, that's all nothing. Okay, your sons and daughters will prophesy, your men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days, and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heavens above, signs in the earth below, blood and fire, bill of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness, and the moon to blood before the coming and great glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, do you know when the prophet Joel prophesied that? How many years there are between the prophecy of Joel and this event? Anybody, 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 anybody want to take a guess that's live here? 400? No, you're thinking the gap between the Old and New Testament. Yeah. But now we know it's more than 400 because you, you helped everybody gain that understanding. Anybody want to take a crack? I'm going to give you 10 more seconds while I get my place. No. It's 800 years. 800 years, from roughly, from Joel's prophecy to this. You see, a, prof- a promise delayed is not a promise denied. Okay? I'm going to say it again. A promise delayed is not a promise denied. We've been studying Jim Simbala in our small group, but I was actually found something else written by him, and this is what he said. If you've been waiting for an answer to prayer for a long time, remember that long waits often occur right before the biggest mountains come down. And he's right. He's seen it. His church is steeped in prayer. They have a great prayer movement in that church. You might feel like, I've been praying for this for decades. God will see it through. Sometimes it takes 800 years. But God will see it through. So, he has this thing and he says, Peter now goes to tell them what he witnesses. And he points to Jesus and Jesus alone. The cross, the resurrection. No extra fluff, nothing about him, nothing about his group, nothing. Never says his own name, never nothing. This is what he says. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man, accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him and you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. And then he says, David said about him, I saw the Lord, but so on. And he goes on, no, 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 okay? So 
at the, last, at the end of this sermon, he says, God had made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. So when they're saying, okay, we see all these amazing things happening. We see all these miracles happening. What, what's going on? They don't say, well, if you pay me $179 a week, I can, come to your, you can come, I can come to your church on a weekend and you can take a course and I'll teach you too can prophesy. You too can speak in other tongues. But that's what we do now. But no, he says, this is all about Jesus. The same Jesus that you saw die and you know rose from the dead, even if people are, are trying to hide from that, this is what this is about. So all of this amazing stuff happening is all because of Jesus. Remember what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit? He said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he'll speak only of me, Jesus. So what are you witness to today? What we should be talking about is Jesus. Jesus. And then all of the amazing, miraculous stuff that flows out of our lives and out of our church as a result of the move of the Holy Spirit is all because of Jesus. We never focus on the gift or whatever. You always focus on the gift giver. Have you experienced the saving grace of Jesus Christ, his forgiveness, his love, his mercy, his healing touch? Then you're witness to what we have to share and what Peter shared. Let's see what happens when you share it. It says, when they said this, people heard it and they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the apostles, what should we do? And so Peter has a chance now. He could say, follow me, join my group, and I will teach you how to follow Jesus. He could have said that. He could have said, I got an idea. Let's do this. Let's do that. This is what he says. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that promises for you, and your children, and for all who are far off, for all who the Lord our God will call. Remember Jesus' great commandment, great commission? Go into all the world, preach the gospel, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Remember? Right here. He's now recalling, Peter's recalling what he was commissioned to do, and he's saying, ah, I get it now. And he says to them, here's what I'm here to do. I'm here to tell you to repent to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. <clears throat> It says here, for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord will call. So speak, I want to speak to those who feel afar off. You're never too far off. Call out to Jesus, and the promise is that you will receive the Holy Spirit. Some of you feel so far, so broken. I know many people feel isolated and alone. COVID's done a lot of messed up things to a lot of people. You know, a friend of mine is having church in Britain today for the first time since March 2020. They haven't had any church in person since March 2020. Can you, I know people have been isolated and alone and even psychologically it's been happening to a lot of people. You're never too far off. You might have screwed up so bad during this pandemic. You might have let your relationship with the Lord grow cold. You might have gotten uh, issues between you and your spouse. You might have issues between you and your kids. You're never too far off. The promise, he says, of the Holy Spirit is for you and your children and for all who are far off. And, and, I mean, that, there he's talking about the world, you know, because he knew there'd be the whole world. But even so, so if you want to talk about psychologically, spiritually, you're never too far off. So the promise today, the question today is, what are we witness to? What have you seen in your life? What have you heard? You know, what are we telling other people? We're going to tell people when the Holy Spirit falls. Again, remember, we don't need to retreat to an upper room, okay, to ask the Holy Spirit to come. But there's nothing wrong with going to an upper room to seek the Lord's face for the promises he's made in your lives. Amen? You know, God's promise to all of us 
to everybody is that if we seek his face, we will find him. If we ask for it, we will receive. These are, this is not like only for Richard or only for Fabrizio. This is for like everybody, to all who believe. And so I'm asking you this morning, what are we witness to? I, I know we're, in one sense, we're all witnesses. We're all witnesses to history. You know, we've been through COVID, haven't we, all of us? We're all witness to COVID. But I bet if we sat all of us down in front of a camera and asked if I've experienced, it would be very varied, right, the way we went through it and experienced. And that's okay. People have different things. But when it comes to the Holy Spirit touching our lives and while it can be varied, ultimately, the witness should be to point and say, hey, it's all because of what Jesus did for me. He died and he rose again, and now I'm full of his Holy Spirit, and that's what's coming out of me, and that's what you're hearing, and that's what you're seeing. So that's what I'm encouraging you. Now, hopefully by next week, <clears throat> we're going to be allowed at least 100 people together. Okay? And maybe soon it'll be back to what we would call normal. You know, let's just make sure that we just, yeah, we're back to church in the morning, whatever. I want you to think about that prayer meeting challenge I laid out in the middle there. I really do believe that's super important. And I want to leave you uh, this morning by just asking you again, what are you witness to? And what are you witnessing when you tell other people about Jesus Christ? Amen? God bless you all. We thank you so much for joining us. Those who came, everybody online, we love you guys. And we hope to see a lot of you next week. Take care. God bless. <clears throat>